Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. We've been in the series on the book of Colossians for several weeks now. This is week five, I believe. We finished up chapter one. We're heading into chapter two. We've entitled this series, Jesus Above All, because the book of Colossians speaks of the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ. And so I've entitled this message, that is going to be the first five verses of chapter two, All In. All In. Followers of Jesus are all in. And I think we're going to see it right here in the text. Follow along with me if you would. Chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 5. Paul is the writer here. He is in chains, in prison for preaching the gospel, writing to a church that he has never met. And he says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit." Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. If you're writing some things down, if you're keeping notes, this is the big idea that sits over top of these five verses this morning. There's one proper way to live the Christian life all in. There is one proper way to be a follower of Jesus, and that is all in. In. Not halfway, not most of the way, but all in, fully committed followers of Jesus. I wonder this morning, have you ever gotten a little carried away? Maybe you're like uh, the mom on the sidelines at your kid's sports tournament. Or maybe you're that dad on the, on the court side and the ref has to spend more time correcting you than the kids on the playing field on the court. Maybe you just go a little too all in. Maybe you're just a little, you get a little too carried away. Or maybe like you're one of those fanatical Christmas people. Anybody like that? Anybody already listening to Christmas music? A little confession. Some kids in here. Oh, all right. We got some that are already listening to Christmas music. Maybe you don't even have to set up your Christmas lights because you never took them down. You can quote all of the lines from the Elf movie. Like you are just, you're one of those all-in Christmas people. You know, there are certain activities that you should not attempt unless you were going to be all in. I've got a couple examples here on the screen. The first is this one. It's, it's a mud run. Like if you are not going to be all in, you shouldn't do a mud run. This guy is literally like head to toe, face plunged in the mud. If you get to the end of the finish line of a mud run and your shirt is still clean, everybody's going to be like, you didn't even try. Like you are definitely not all in. Another activity that you shouldn't try if you're not going to be all in is a hot dog eating championship. This particular guy, his name is Joey Chestnut. I'm not making this up. His, he holds the record right now, 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. 
I mean, that dude is all in for his hot dogs. You know what I mean? I mean, he's just, he's stuffing his face. You shouldn't be doing a hot dog eating championship if you're not going to be all in. Here's another activity that you shouldn't do if you're not going to be all in. Bungee jumping. (laughs) Folks, once you jump, there's just no turning back, right? It's you and the rope. That's it. Here's another one for my campers. I don't know if you've ever tried this, you outdoors people, but this is called cliff camping. Cliff camping. Like, I don't know, but I've got some concerns about that, okay? You better not do any sleepwalking if you're going to try this particular activity. But if you're going to attach your, your cot or your tent to the side of a cliff and fall asleep, you better be all in. Like, you are trusting that system. One more I've got for you this morning. Here's, here's an activity that requires you to be all in. Bull riding. Bull riding. Like, if you're going to sit on that bull inside that gate and they're going to open that gate, you better know what you're doing or you better be a a little borderline crazy, one or the other, if you're gonna be riding that bull. I heard of some folks in our church that recently went to a a restaurant. It's called Buffalo Chip. Anybody heard of Buffalo Chip? You can can sit down and enjoy your your meal at the restaurant, and on Friday nights, they let anybody ride a bull. So, Neil, if you wanna sign up this Friday night and ride a bull, if Pauline will let you, you do have to sign, you do have to sign a waiver, okay? I don't know who, who thinks that the idea of a good night on a Friday is like, let's go eat and let's ride a bull. Like, you know, I mean, it's just kind of like those two things. But if that's you, I'm telling you, when that gate opens, you better be all in. What I hear Paul saying when he writes this opening paragraph in verse number one, he's saying, I'm all in for you. I am all in. Look at it again, verse 1. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. That was a city about nine miles away. And for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul hasn't even met these people. He didn't start this church. He started other churches that he's written to, but he hasn't started this one. And he is going to stop at nothing. He's saying, I am struggling. We saw that word last week. It has this idea of contending and fighting and agonizing for the purpose of spiritual formation in their life. He's saying, I am struggling for these people that I have never met. Paul is all in for them because he's all in for Jesus. And i got to tell you this morning, that's really the only way to live the Christian life. When you made the decision to follow Christ, following Jesus was an all-in proposition. When Jesus went to those 12 disciples one at a time and he said to them, follow me, he was saying, I want you to leave everything of your life behind and I want you to follow everything that I'm about to show you. It's an all-in proposition. You leave everything else behind and you follow Christ. So there is only one proper way to follow Jesus and it's all in. All in. And so there will be evidences In a church, that's all in. Just like that guy running that mud run, when he gets to that finish line and is completely drenched head to toe, you look at a guy like that and you're like, yep, that guy's all in. There are evidences in a church that is committed to an all-in following of Jesus. And in our text this morning, we're going to see three of those evidences. See, Paul was all in. The church at Colossae, I believe what Paul is going to articulate is that they were all in, but now it's our turn. It's our turn to see what it means, what it looks like, the evidences of a church that is all in committed to the way of Jesus. So what evidences will be seen in a church 
that is all in for Christ. Three of them this morning. Number one, a church all in for Jesus will evidence an abundance of unifying love. An abundance of unifying love. I want to start back in verse 1. We'll read into the first part of verse 2. Paul again says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, which was another church, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. Notice this next phrase, being knit together in love. Now I've got to say this morning that as a pastor, this is convicting for me. What am I struggling to see formed in our church family? What is it that consumes my attention? What is it that consumes my desires and my efforts? Am I just consumed with seeing people fill a room? Am I just consumed by seeing maybe some renovations and some things on a campus that are, that are redone? Am I just consumed with more programs and more activities? Or am I consumed as a pastor with seeing love in this congregation unifying us as the people of God? For Paul, it was an all-consuming passion of his that the people of God would be marked by this unifying love that would bind them first to God, but then also to each other. Because love is supreme. God is love, John tells us in 1 John. Love does not define God. God defines love. God determines what love looks like because it is, very, it is, is his very character and nature. Love is not some elementary principle that we grow out of, but it is an elementary principle that we never stop growing into. When Paul would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he spoke in some hyperbole and he talked about if you have the ability to speak angelic languages and if you have this gift of prophecy and you can unpack all the mysteries of God, and if you have the ability to speak to mountains and those mountains are moved, and if you were to even lay down your life in the ultimate demonstration of sacrifice through martyrdom, but you don't have love, you've gained nothing. Who are we to say that we are a people of God living on mission for God and we do all of these wonderful things, but we do it apart from love? Paul says, you've gained nothing because full maturity in Christ is not a lot of activities. Full maturity in Christ is that in all things and under every circumstance, we demonstrate love. Even when someone has hurt us, even when we need to forgive, even when we have been wronged, even when things are not going our way, even when we don't fully understand what might be happening in our life, we are people marked by love. Love is supreme. And when love is supreme in a church, then God's people will be unified around that love. A love that unifies. He says, being knit together in love. Because love is the thread that holds together the tapestry of the church. It is the thread that is woven through each of our lives that is pulled tightly, that keeps us bound to each other. Because first and foremost, we have been knit to God because of his love. What is the gospel? The gospel is that God so loved that he gave his one and only begotten and unique son. So that now because God first loved us, our love is second. Our love is in response to the love that he has given to us. We are now knit to, we are now bound to God because of his love for us. But then what are we called to do? We are called to love as we have been loved. 
So first we are bound to God and we are knit to God, but now we are bound to one another and we are knit to one another in that same love. It is a love that unifies us. The reality is there is no reason why this number of people in this room could be all in for God apart from love unifying us. We're different. We're not all the same. We come from different backgrounds. We have different preferences. We might even come from different religious traditions. And yet what holds us together is the love of Christ. And what binds us together is the gospel of Christ. So love must saturate everything we do as a community. Can I just be honest this morning? That's not always easy. It's easy to preach on a Sunday morning. Stuff like this preaches pretty good. It's easy to sit around in a living room, maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday night in a life group and kind of talk it out. And yeah, that sounds really good. But what about actually practicing that kind of love? It's hard sometimes. It's not always easy. Why is this kind of unifying love such a struggle, as Paul calls it? A struggle to see these, for, these things formed in this community. Why is it hard? Well, it, it's hard because we're human. We hurt each other. We, we, we take each other for granted sometimes. We make mistakes sometimes. We're human. We're also different. You are not like me. I am not like you in every single way. We're just different. And sometimes those differences can cause some of that rub and some of that disagreement Unifying love can also be difficult because we're stubborn. Let's just be honest. Sometimes I don't always want to come to you and apologize. Sometimes I don't always feel like in my pride, I feel like I'm justified in the way that I was rude and the way that I was unkind. We're stubborn. But you know what else is true? What, what makes this kind of unifying love so hard is that we're guarded. We're guarded because we've loved before and we've been hurt. We've opened ourselves up before, maybe in some other church context or some other religious gathering. You've, you've loved because you knew that's what you were supposed to do, but then that love was taken advantage of. Or somebody that you trusted that was a spiritual leader hurt you. And so now what's happened is you've become guarded. And just like Amy talked about a moment ago, you have a hard time even walking into the room. You have a hard time even coming to a ladies' brunch or committing to a life group because you've been hurt, and because you've been hurt, you are guarded. And so now, once again, you are being called to this unifying love that requires you to love the people around you, and you're thinking, I'm just not sure that I can do that again. And let me just say, I feel that pain. And church hurt is real. But God calls us again to a love that is not natural, but that is supernatural. God calls us to a love, not, not a love that is a demonstration of our own strengths and abilities, but a love that is a fruit of the Spirit, a love that is a manifestation of the work of God within us that, yes, even allows us to love and to love again when we've been hurt, when we've been taken advantage of. That doesn't mean that there, is, there isn't need for boundaries at times. But if you are in this church context and you are having a hard time loving because in another church context you've been hurt, then the call today is once again to be unified in love. Love must saturate everything that we do. The reality is sometimes living with Christians can be like living in a house full of boys all under the age of 12. You say, John, it sounds like you are speaking from experience. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I don't know, but we happen to have four boys all under the age of 12. 
And sometimes in that family environment, you have to sit down with those young ones and you have to say, listen, some of the things that have been being said, some of the things that have been being thrown, some of the attitudes that have been on display, these are not a reflection of Christ. And there is a call once again to unity in love. And so a loving church will be a sticky church. There will be adhesion. There will be a binding together. There will be a knitting together. A a church that is truly uh, abundant in love and demonstrating and displaying love is the kind of church that people come to and they just want to stay. There's something in the room. There's something that those people are demonstrating and believing and living that is just different. And we've all walked into a room where love has not been present and felt the tension. And what's, our, what's the first thing we want to do when we walk into a room like that? We want to walk out because it's not sticky. There's not a binding, knitting together kind of a love in that environment. But I wonder, what are people experiencing when they walk into this room? What are people experiencing when they're interacting with the people who call City Point Church home? We have a sign out front of our church that says, you are loved. We believe that, by the way. We believe that all of the thousands of cars that drive by our church every single day are loved because there is a God who died on a cross for them. They are loved. They are loved by their creator. But there's a double meaning in that statement, you are loved. It's not just that they are loved by God, but they are also loved by this church. That there are people here who are also loved by God, who are loving the people who are loved by God with the love that they have received from God. They are loved by God and they are loved by us. And I just hope that it is true that when somebody walks into this room, that that is the expression that they are experiencing. And we have had people, they have told us, the reason I came and tried City Point Church is because of that sign out front. And there was something inside that I felt when I drove by and saw that sign that said, you are loved. And I just thought and hoped that maybe if I walked in, I would feel the same thing. And may it always be true of our church that there is a binding, knitting together, unifying love that is an expression of Christ among us. All in Christianity is a, has a sticky love. A love that is adhesive. A love that is binding. A church all in for Jesus will evidence an abundance of unifying love. But number two, a church that is all in for Jesus will also evidence a wealth of spiritual riches. A wealth of spiritual riches. I want you to see this in the second half of verse 2 into verse 3. We'll pick it up right where we left off, being knit together in love. Here it is, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There seems to be this connection, even in that phrase right in the middle of verse 2, to reach all of the riches. There seems to be this connection between the unifying love and these treasures, as if the unifying love is the key that unlocks the treasure chest. The unifying abundance of love that will be on display among us is now opening up these treasure chests that are found in a church that is all in for Jesus. And there are two of them. Two treasure chests of riches that Paul articulates that he sees on display in this church. First of all, there is the full assurance of understanding. And then secondly, there is the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
So the full assurance of understanding, that is a confident clarity. Full assurance, that is our heart. Understanding, that is our mind. That with all of our heart and all of our mind, we know God. There is a settledness. There is a confidence. There is an assurance within us. And let me just say this morning, God desires to be known. Maybe you've been struggling to see and sense God in your life, but he is not a God that is distant and far off and wanting to be hidden away from you, but he is a God who desires to be known and a God who desires for you to have full assurance of understanding. It's one of the treasure chests that you can have that confident clarity in your life. Too many Christians live their lives insecure about their relationship with God, living in this constant state of defeat, not really sure if God's for them or if God's against them, if God's on their side or if he's living in opposition to them. If that's you this morning, I want you just to mark it down. That as a follower of Jesus, he wants you to have a confident clarity, full assurance of understanding that you can know God and you can understand his will and purpose for your life. In chapter 1, Paul prayed for this same church. He said that from the day we heard, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There it is again. That they would have the knowledge of his will and the understanding of his purpose for their life. That's the first treasure chest that all in Christians have access to. Confidence, assurance. But the second is this, the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. Now, if you were here last week, we unpacked that word, that idea, mystery. God had veiled the plan of Jesus to protect the plan of Jesus. And so those in the Old Testament and even into the Gospels in the New Testament, the full plan of God was not yet unveiled. It was, it was unfolding in real time. We have the luxury of hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty. And so, yes, now it has been fully revealed to us. And even now, Paul is saying it's been fully revealed to you. The mystery is Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the mystery. He is the fulfillment of all of the foreshadowing of the Old Testament. All that the Old Testament was pointing to is now, has now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Some people view Jesus as the map to the treasure as if following the map will get you to some desired destination. If I just do what Jesus told me to do, and if I stay away from what Jesus told me to stay away from, and if I follow the map, I will end up at the desired destination. But understand, Jesus is not the map to the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is not the one to just say, well, if I do some things, I'll end up where I want to be. Jesus is the one to follow and to love and to be with. He is the very treasure. He is the treasure trove that we can open up and enjoy as Christians who are all in for God. What wealth is stored up in Jesus? Look at verse 3. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now there is significance in those two words that be for us to miss. But in antiquity, in the ancient writings of Scripture, particularly in the Proverbs, this pairing of wisdom and knowledge were two prized possessions. And the writer of Proverbs would often write even to his son and tell him to get wisdom and to get understanding and to pursue 
these treasures, pursue these realities in his life. I want to share with you Proverbs 4, verses 5 through 9. I'll put it up on the screen here because I want you to see just how important knowledge and wisdom were to the ancient writers of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, verse 5, the writer says, Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. He personifies wisdom here. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And what Paul is doing is he's actually making a statement that would have caused some of those Jewish readers to go back in their minds to Proverbs just like this and understand that the personification of wisdom and knowledge in the Old Testament is now fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus is now the wisdom and knowledge. And in him are hidden all of those treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we have these two treasure chests. On one side, there is this treasure chest of full assurance and confidence that we can know and understand God and his will. And on the other side, there is this treasure chest of Jesus himself. And for a church that is all in, these treasure chests are going to be open and evident and overflowing. And so don't miss the treasure. Don't miss the treasure. In 1988, there was a farmer who sold his farm and the house that was on his farm to a new homeowner. And when he sold that farm to the new homeowner, he gifted that new homeowner a rock that he had found in his field in 1930. The new homeowner took this rock, it was a bit of an oddly shaped and oddly looking rock, and he used it for the next 30 years to prop open the door of that farmhouse. Well, in 2018, that new homeowner, now not new because he'd been there for 30 years, decided he was going to take that rock and have somebody look at it and, and examine it to see what's been propping, propping open the door of his house for 30 years. And what he found out is that rock was the piece of a meteorite worth over $100,000. Holding open a door. I wonder how many of us are missing the treasure that's right in front of us. How many of, you are, how many of us are looking past Jesus? Oh, we want what Jesus is going to give us. We want the healing for our marriage. We want our kids to turn out right. We, we want to have some hope and some forgiveness in our life, but we're looking past the treasure. We think the treasure is the forgiveness. We think the treasure is a healthy marriage. The treasure is Jesus. And yes, he can bring those things and provide those things, but don't look past the treasure. Don't miss the one who has given his life so that we can have fulfillment in him. Listen, don't prop open doors in your life with Jesus. Just thinking that he's there to sort of provide something for you. Understand that he is himself the treasure. You will never be fully satisfied with any other treasure. If you're here this morning and you've been pursuing other things, you might even be in this room and this is a bit of a last resort for you. You've tried everything else. And now you're like, well, I don't know, let me try the church thing. The pursuit of any other treasure, it doesn't matter if it's a relationship, it doesn't matter if it's a career, it doesn't matter if it's stuff, whatever you have been trying to pursue to find your Savior in, it will fall terribly short. 
No other treasure will satisfy like the treasure of Christ. But also the beauty of this treasure is that you will never fully plunge the depths of the treasure troves of Christ. You see, it says there that in Christ are hidden all the treasures. Those treasures are not hidden because Jesus is trying to keep them from you. Those treasures are hidden because he wants you to dig. And the more you dig, the more you find. And the deeper you go, the more you discover. And the more you just drill down into the treasure of Christ, the more beautiful and magnificent he becomes to you. So in Christ are hidden those treasures. Many will spend their lives chasing treasure only to die and leave it all behind. Followers of Jesus, we pursue Christ only to die and wake up in his presence. He is the treasure. And a church that is all in will evidence an abundance of unifying love and a wealth of spiritual riches. But number three, a church all in for Jesus will also and finally evidence the placement of proper defenses. The placement of proper defenses. Now this might seem a little out of place. You're like, how does this fit in with love and the wealth of Jesus? What are we, we're talking about defenses now, but understand that when you treasure something and when you value something, you're gonna put proper defenses in place to protect those. The evidence that I value my family are the protective defense measures in my home, like a security system. And so we are wanting to protect the, the abundance of unifying love, and we are wanting to protect the, the, the spiritual treasure of Christ in this church, and so there will be some protective defense measures put in place. Look at verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul knew the risk that there could be people who would come in and, and derail them and sidetrack them from this all-in love and this all-in treasure. Going all-in for Christ is going to be met with opposition. I have seen this time and time and time again. Somebody makes the decision to follow Jesus in baptism and that we celebrate that as a church. Next week, we're going to celebrate three guys who put faith in Jesus and they're going to follow Jesus in baptism. Those three guys are in the room this morning. If I could talk to you three guys for just a moment. When you go all-in for Christ and when you make that decision to be baptized, just expect opposition. It's going to come, Carson. It's going to come. There's going to be that opposition, Austin. It's going to come in your life. I have seen it, Dustin. When somebody makes the decision to go all in, to be baptized, when somebody makes the decision to get back in church, you've been out of church and you've been isolated from community and now you're here, just expect this week that opposition is going to come. And Paul knows it. So yeah, there's love, and yeah, there's the treasure of Christ, but now he's saying, just be on guard because Satan is good at deliberate deceptions and convincing counterfeits. Be careful that no one deludes you with plausible arguments. N.T. Wright said this about this verse. N.T. Wright is a scholar. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says this, one regular form this attack may take is the clever plausibility of teaching near enough to the truth to be apparently respectable and far enough away from it to be devastating in its effect on individuals and congregations. That's what Satan does. He gets just close enough to the truth that you might not know the difference, but just far enough away that you will be pulled out and pulled away. 
So Paul rejoices because this church has two protective defenses. I want to share these with you. In verse 5, he says, For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit. Again, he's all in. He's not even there, but he's all in. And then he says this, Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Those are the two defenses. Your good order and your firmness of faith in Christ. So the first defense is good order. Orderliness within the church. God desires for the church to be a place of order. I've heard people say from time to time, I'm just not a big fan of organized religion. Listen, I get it. I'm not a big fan of religion, so to speak, either. But I'm also not a fan of disorganized religion. I'm not a fan of things just being haphazard and out of place and everybody just kind of does whatever they want to do. The orderliness, when Paul sent Titus to Crete, he said, I want you to ordain pastors and elders. I want you to set some things in order, set some things in their proper place because the, the more disorganized and the more disorderly a church is, the more susceptible that church is to doctrinal drift. And so our pastor team is in place for doctrine, direction, for discipleship in this church. We have structural systems in place, financial structures that are in place for the purpose of order. We have intentional pathways for discipleship here at City Point Church. We call them our rhythms, that we want to worship in service, that we want to live in groups, that we want to learn in studies, we want to serve on teams. Why is there orderliness? Why is there structure to the church? Well, this good order is a defense against spiritual drift. By having some organization, by having some orderliness, we are more likely to stay in love with one another and treasuring Jesus. And so these defenses are in place. But the second defense he points out in this church is the firmness of their faith. And this is just me, this is just me talking, but I actually believe that these two are connected. That orderliness will, will help to produce in the lives of followers of Jesus a firmness of faith. The firmness of faith that this church at Colossae was displaying. Now some are currently making the argument that in America we are quickly becoming, if we have not already become, a post-Christian nation. One recent set of statistics that I read is that Americans between the ages of 18 to 29, and by the way, the median age of Tempe is 29. That Americans between the ages of 18 29 of that demographic, only 21% report going to church on a weekly basis. Only 27% say that they pray daily. And only 31% say that they believe in God as described by the Bible. You say, John, does that discourage you? Does that set you back? Are you a little nervous? Are you a little scared? No, because I believe that post-Christian means pre-revival. And that while we may be entering into, if we are not already in a post-Christian America that doesn't look like maybe the 1960s or the 1970s that you grew up in, we are pre-revival and God's about to move. But all that means that as followers of Jesus, we must be firm in our faith. You are going to interact with people in your workplace. You are going to interact with people in your college dorm room or in your classroom. And they are not going to have a firm faith in Jesus like you have. And so there is going to be wave after wave after wave trying to crash against your faith and knock you off balance. And so how do we fortify our faith in an increasingly post-Christian context I want to give you three reasons. This is a bit of a sidebar. They won't be on the screen, but you can write them down. 
How do we fortify our faith in an increasingly post-Christian context? Number one, we've got to seek God for ourselves. You need to seek God for you. You have to understand his heart. You have to understand his character. You have to know him. Don't know the God that I'm telling you to know. Know the God, know God for yourself. You're going to interact with people this week, and they're going to make statements about the God that you believe in, and they're going to say things like, well, your God is just misogynistic. Your God is a narcissistic warlord who killed babies in the Old Testament. And you're going to be like, huh? Like what? Where, do, where is that? Like what's... And you're going to be shaken. You're going to be moved. You're going to be, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be stirred. And you're going to start to wonder, is that really the God of the Bible? Is that the God that I've been believing in? And you're going to find your, your faith being, being disturbed and shaken. And so you must have firmness in faith. And so start by knowing God for yourself. Understand his heart. Understand his character. The second way to have firmness of faith is by committing to engage in deeper community. You've got to commit to go deeper with your brothers and sisters in Christ. None of us have all of the answers. By the way, you need to be able to ask all of your questions. I'll never understand. It, never, it, it will never make sense to me why some churches shut out questions. Why some churches just don't allow people to ask their questions. This church must always be the kind of place. Ask all of your questions. They might even sound a little irreverent. Ask them anyway. Because if, if you're not asking your questions, that doesn't make them go away. But in that deeper context of true community where we are doing life together, it's a place to kind of flesh out and learn what it means to follow Jesus and to ask those questions. There's protection in community. Seek God for yourself. Commit to engaging in deeper community. And thirdly, we fortify our faith by pursuing truth. Pursue truth. And don't pursue the truth that I am telling you is truth. Pursue truth for truth. You say, John, why, why do you say it that way? Well, because I am convinced as a pastor that even if you disagree with me and what I am telling you is truth, that in your pursuit of truth, you will, you will ultimately end up at the destination of God. Because truth is not subjective. So you can argue with me and go ahead and do that. And by the way, I'm not always right. And sometimes I may say something that's a little wrong. A couple weeks ago, I said that Dora was the one in Finding Nemo. It's not Dora, it's Dory, okay? Sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> sometimes I'm wrong on my Disney movies. Sometimes I can even be wrong on my theology. Don't go with what I say. Go with what God says, okay? So pursue truth for truth. Because I believe that when you get to the end of that pathway, you will be staring God in the face. Pursue truth. Drill down deeper. Christianity is not void of reason. It's not void of evidence. It's not void of thinking. Don't be afraid to go deep. Because when you do, you will find hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. So here's that big idea. There's only one proper way to live the Christian life. And it is to live it all in all in. When you became a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, follow me. That's what he said to you. And that meant all of you following all of him. And so when the runner crosses the finish line of that mud run with evidence of mud all over them, you're going to know that they went all in, kind of like this guy. Nobody's going to accuse this guy of going halfway in this mud run because he's just drenched with evidence. And a church 
that is drenched with the evidence of going all in for Christ is going to be a church where there is an abundance of unifying love, where there is a wealth of spiritual riches. We're just going to be the kind of church that's just obsessed with Jesus. And it's going to be the kind of a church where there is the placement of proper defenses, good order, and a firmness of faith where we are going deeper and drilling down so that we know what we believe and why we believe it. Because we want to be the kind of people going all in for Christ. Two questions for you as we conclude here, as we learn to live. We do these every week. We don't just want to learn to learn. We want to learn to live. My first question for you is this. Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? You might be here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been to church a little bit. Maybe you've done some praying. Maybe you've even considered yourself spiritual, but you've never come to that crossroad. You've never come to that place of faith in Jesus alone. I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you know even some some spiritual things or if you've prayed a prayer one time or two times. I'm asking if you put faith in the finished work of Jesus for for the forgiveness of your sin. Is Jesus your treasure? If the answer is no, there's good news. His invitation is always open. His invitation is open for you today to trust not a church, not a pastor on a stage, not a system of religious beliefs, but to trust Jesus alone. And if you are here and maybe you've been pursuing other treasures, but you've not been pursuing Jesus, then I want to invite you today, trust Jesus alone. He's not the pathway to the treasure. He is the treasure. And so if today you're ready, you're ready. You're done pursuing other treasures and you're ready to trust Jesus today. Then I invite you by faith right now, believe in Jesus alone. And if you will believe in Jesus and in Jesus alone, you will receive the forgiveness of sin. You will receive an eternal relationship with God, not because you did a bunch of stuff or because you proved yourself to God, but because you trusted in the treasure in Jesus Christ. And if today you're ready to put saving faith in Jesus and that's not something that you've done before and you're ready to believe in him then I would invite you when the service is over I want to ask you to stop by the table in the lobby one of our leaders is there we'd like to give a book to you that will help you to understand what it means in this new relationship that you have with Christ so all you got to do is go by that table and say I said yes to Jesus today I believed in Jesus today And if you'll do that, they'll put that book in your hands and it will help you to know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Is Jesus your treasure? But then my second question, for those of us who have put faith in Jesus, my question for you is this, where do you need to go all in for Jesus? Maybe you've been been running that race and your your shirt is still clean. (laughs) There's not the evidence of mud all over. Where do you need to go all in? The Spirit of God is speaking this morning, and I believe He's going to identify an area of your life where you've just been holding back. You've been holding back. You'll go all in for your kids on the sideline of that sports game. You'll go all in for Christmas. You'll go all in for your favorite sports team. But what about Jesus? Where in your life have you been holding back? It's time to go all in. Can we pray together? Before we pray in the quietness and the stillness of this moment, I just want to invite you to take a moment to be with God in a moment of prayer, in a moment of reflection. Just talk to God about whatever the Spirit of God has been doing in your heart. 
from this paragraph of scripture? Where do you need to go all in? Where do you need to trust the treasure again? Father, we thank you for your grace, your kindness, that time and time and time again, you pursue us. And I want to pray this morning that if there's somebody here that today is putting faith in Jesus, I pray that you would give them the courage to stop by that table and just let us know because we want to pray with them. We want to rejoice with that decision. We want to help them to grow in that new relationship with Christ. And if there is a Christian here this morning that's been holding back, that's been hesitant to go all in, I pray that today they would just let you have their all and that they would surrender to you. God, do what only you can do and we'll trust you in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.